I'm Jennifer, and you're listening to the Jennifer Kayla Ruskin Podcast. I'm passionate about helping you create the relationship and sex life of your dreams. Welcome to conversations about open relationships, online dating, and conscious uncoupling. Hey guys, welcome back to another podcast. This one is especially interesting. We're calling it Exploring and Negotiating BDSM. And our guest today is London Crave. And London has a really impressive resume, um, her little bio. So I'm going to go ahead and read that right now. And then we're going to add her into this conversation. London Crave is a bisexual polyamorous kinkster who has been active in the BDSM, non-monogamous, and sex-positive lifestyles for a decade. In that time, she has led two BDSM-focused groups that held kink-focused parties, movie nights, educational events, and other social activities. She's presented classes and demos at various kink-focused events and dungeons in Arkansas, Oklahoma, and nationwide virtual events, as well as the University of Arkansas. CAVU centers conference on spirituality, sexuality, and intimacy and consplosion. <laughs> London is available for a variety of classes, panels, and discussions related to BDSM, ethical non-monogamy, sex positivity, and sexual expression and empowerment. So I will put her contact info in our show notes below. So if you want to contact her, you happen to be available regionally, or you want to fly her out to your event, she can help you. So I have had podcasts where we talked about BDSM 101. We have gotten into um, more BDSM kind of part two, and this is exploring and negotiating BDSM. So this is much more tactical and I'm ready for us to chat with London. So let's bring her in. Okay, guys, I've got London. Now, London is going to remain anonymous on our podcast. So you'll see different marketing materials of London, but we're not going to actually have her live. So we have her sexy photo here today for you to view with her rose and her pretty lips. London, would you take a minute and introduce yourself to our listeners? I, I love to normalize our guests so they don't think that you're like this freak living in a dungeon. Um, <laughs> like, tell us who you are. Yes. I mean, I wish I was a freak living in a dungeon, but... <laughs> I mean, don't I'm, we all, right? I'm much more boring than that. Okay. Um, so I am, I'm a cat mom. That's the biggest thing. So I apologize if at any point you hear my cat screaming in the background. Um, I am married. Uh, to my husband. We've been together for um, almost nine years now. Um, we've been married since 2019, um, and we've been on this journey together. I'm a big reader. Um, anyone who knows me knows that that's like my biggest pastime. I have a ridiculous amount of books. Every time I have anyone over, it's kind of shameful to show them how many books I have. Um, and I'm I'm kind of a homebody, which is is weird for the you know, the activities that we get up to, we usually have to travel outside of our home for that, for parties and conventions and things like that. But when I'm not doing that, I love to just be at home because um, I have all the anxiety. So I like to snuggle my cats and I like to read my books. Um, I'm also a big horror person. I love all spooky stuff. Everyone knows me as the spooky friend. So yeah, those are, those are kind of the more dull, quote unquote, things about me. <laughs> 
You're not dull at all. I think you're so cool. <laughs> Thank um, you. Okay. So walk us into our topic today. Um, I've done a BDSM 101 from a submissive's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I did healing through kink. So that was an interesting episode where we talked mm-hmm. about using kink and different modalities within it to kind of work through inner child wounding and healing and that sort of thing. What do you want to talk about today? So I think today, um, something that a lot of people, they don't think about the logistics of actually what it means to explore and get started in kink and exploring those dynamics and what that means. Everybody is just excited to kind of get to it, um, which I totally understand. I was the same way, but there's a lot of pitfalls that can come with that. If you don't know how to properly explore, properly negotiate, properly research, this type of activity and lifestyle, no matter what route you go, whether it's casual and you're just having some fun in the bedroom, or if you get a little deeper into it and do like full blown 24 seven dynamics, whichever route you go, if you're not careful with certain things, you can fall into harm, whether it's physical or mental. Like you said, um, a lot of people try to do some healing through BDSM, Mm -hmm. but it can backfire if you're not quite sure what it is that you're doing. So I think that that's something that is good to cover for people. Excellent. Yeah. I've always heard you need to know your boundaries. Like you need to Mm -hmm. know what you're into and not into what you're, what you're open to exploring. Um, Mm -hmm. I heard once from Ian and Jaya, uh, after I watched sex, love and goop, I think they even said it on there. Um, if you don't know where your boundary limit is, like mm-hmm. you could end up, you know, on fish hooks suspended through the air and yes. like not <laughs> dead, but like, cause that's someone's kink. So yes. we don't ever want to yuck someone else's yum. And and if you listen to our podcast today and there's some things that you hear where it makes you feel kind of gross, just remember that there's some things that you're probably into that other, other people think is weird, right? Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. Anything other than missionary sometimes is weird for some people. So mm-hmm. figure out what yeah. you're into. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that uh, the the boundaries conversation is one that I always have with newbies. Um, being a kink educator, those are the people that I talk to the most. And a lot of them have the same question or the same thought, which is a good one, which is, well, if I'm new, I don't know what my boundaries are. I don't know what my limits are, which is an excellent point. Um, so what I always tell people, especially when you're first starting out, is you're right, you are not going to know your limits necessarily. You may know some things, like you know that you are not going to do X, Y, Z, but everything else is kind of open. You're like, I'm not sure if I'd be into that, or maybe you do think it's a limit, and then later you try it and you realize it's not. What I tell people when you're starting out, it's best to know what you do want to try, what you do want to do, what you are okay with, and negotiate from a positive perspective as opposed to a negative perspective. When you're doing those negotiations for a scene or for a dynamic, say, and even be open with whoever you're playing with and say, so not quite sure what my limits are, but because of that, I think I would like to stick to, let's just do like, say flogging, for instance, I just like, would like to try floggers tonight. And then that way it narrows the, the playing field, you know what to expect, you know what you're going into. And so does the person you're playing with. That makes it a lot easier to kind of control that scene when you're brand new Mm -hmm. and, you know, say you like it and, you know, next time. Okay. So I know I'm into that. So I definitely want to do flogging, but let's maybe try something else that I haven't done yet. And you slowly start adding stuff that way. I think that that's one of the most effective ways to try stuff 
in my opinion. I love that. And I've never thought about coming from the perspective of, I know this is what I do want to try versus Mm -hmm. here's a list of 25 things that I do not want you to do to me. Right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It really narrows the field. So let me ask you a question then, uh, London, if I am in the middle of the scene and we're doing flogging and I really like it and I want more impact and I'm like, Ooh, can we try something harder and heavier? Like, does that get to be negotiated during that scene? Do we have to stop and wait for something else and to come back together again? What's the best way to do that? So typically I do not suggest negotiating mid scene. Um, Now this can be different depending on the type of connection or relationship you have with the person. If it's an established partner, you know that they can read you, you know that they can read your body language and you're not necessarily in what, you know, many refer to as like a subspace or headspace yet, then there's a little bit of leeway. That's not necessarily the most popular opinion, but depending on how that relationship is, you can maybe add something that's in the similar vein. But typically what I like to do is if you're experiencing something during a scene and you realize you want more, something maybe a bit more harder or more extreme or something in that same vein, but it is different than what you negotiated, just put it in the back of your mind and a lot of people think, oh, well, that sucks because what if I really am enjoying the scene? I want it to go longer. I get that. But then that means you have a list for next time. And that means that next scene is going to be even better and more varied. And you get to explore even more. And that excitement gets to ride out into another scene as opposed to trying to lump it all into one session. Okay. And as well, um, as many people have heard, you don't want to negotiate mid-scene because you are getting a rush of endorphins. You're getting adrenaline and dopamine, and that's going to cloud your judgment. So there may be things that you do feel like you want in that moment, but later you're like, oh, crap, I wasn't prepared for that at all. I didn't want that, and it can have a very big negative impact. Mm-hmm. So I always say it's better to leave them wanting more, essentially, and then you get to explore more with that person or with yourself later. And plus, it gives you time to think, is that really what I wanted, or was that just you know, was I just getting horny or something like that during the scene? Or both. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It could be both. The <laughs> two things come that. to mind for me when you're having this conversation. One is, it sounds like you want to, to be in this space, a dom sub or BDSM space with someone that you trust and something, someone that's going to be there to be repeatable. So this isn't mm-hmm. like we met on Tinder and we decided that our first or second date was going to be like some intense BDSM scene, right? Yes, typically. Um, <laughs> You're I, like, not always. I, not always. Um, okay. There is something called pickup play, which is common in um, the kink world. Now, I will say most newbies, I don't necessarily suggest pickup play okay. because you are still figuring yourself out. So you don't know how to vet either, which is something we can get into later. But you yeah. don't know how to, you know, screen the people that you're playing with properly. But as you kind of go further into your journey, there may be times where you click with someone, you're attracted to someone, or you know that they can do something you are interested in and you want to experience that with them and say, Hey, so we don't know each other, but here is my background. Here's what I'm wanting. Would you be interested in doing this with me? And you guys negotiate that scene on the spot, Mm -hmm. whether it's at a dungeon or through online and app, whatever. And you meet up just to do that scene. And that may be the only scene you guys ever do together. That does happen. And I've done that myself many, many times. 
But again, I feel like yeah, that's what's something that's- your experience that's, level got to be to do that? Like a one out of five? I would say at least a three. Like okay. just because, just because um, again, you want to know how to vet your people properly. And that's a three to do it regularly. If you are at an event that's geared towards education or people learning things, it's not abnormal for someone to go up to, especially if it's the presenter or the teacher and say, hey, I'd really like to try that because I saw you demo that. Can you do that on me? But typically those moments are also not full-blown scenes. You're just trying something out. You're like, hey, can you hit me for a few minutes? So I know what that feels like, which is a <laughs> completely different thing. <laughs> hey there. Did you know that I do online coaching? Yes, I do online coaching in the sex and relationship space. Some of the topics that are near and dear to my heart are open relationships. So that includes polyamory, swinging, or what we call the lifestyle. I also love conversations around online dating. We're talking Bumble, Tinder, Field, and more. And then the last thing that's really passionate and close to my heart is conscious uncoupling. That means we get to break up with people with love and respect, with dignity and hope. We get to create a life for our children that gets to be a little bit different. We can do things better than we have in the past. So if any of these topics sound interesting to you and you'd love to get some coaching from me, check out the link in the show notes or the link in my bio for more information on coaching with Jen. Okay. I do have another side question, but I want to stick with this for a minute. So if I'm a newbie and I'm curious, where would one go to see different scenes and then be able to ask the person that's presenting the scene or teaching or educating on the scene and say, Hey, that vlogger, for example, what you just used, like that looks really interesting. I would like to experience that. Where would you go to even have that be an opportunity in your life? So the best place is, well, I say best place loosely, is FetLife um, to find events and groups. Um, FetLife is essentially fetish Facebook. It's where you can find all sorts of events and groups and like-minded people. It's not the most user-friendly, so it takes a little bit of time <laughs> to figure out how to navigate it. I know I had a hard time at first, but once you do figure it out, you will typically find that there are always some sort of events going on within maybe like a two to three hour drive of you, maybe even closer, depending on where you are in the population in that area. And you would start out by going to what are called munches or meet and greets. Those are usually casual, vanilla social settings where these groups, dungeons, anything like that meet up. And that's where vetting usually happens, which vetting is when the leaders of those groups almost kind of give you an interview. They, they check out like who you are, what are you wanting from this? Why are you interested in joining and kind of get a vibe for you, make sure that you're not going to be dangerous or a creep. And they may have requirements like checking ID because they want to make sure you're over 18. Um, some groups will do background checks. Um, so only the group leaders will get your full name and they'll check or criminal background, that's it, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. So you would start out going to those type of meetings. It helps you get to know people in a vanilla setting, which is much less pressure. <laughs> and you also kind of get a vibe for the group. Like, is this a group that I'm going to have stuff in common with? Are these people that I can hang out with and enjoy? After you get comfortable with that and get vetted, you start going to the private event, which can happen at dungeons or house parties. 
And those are where you'll see people doing scenes and classes and demos. And that's how you find that stuff. It can be a bit of a process to get into it. Some groups don't do as much vetting. Some do. So mm -hmm. it kind of depends on that specific group. I know whenever I started, it took me, I want to say two years to actually get to a munch because of anxiety. Because mm -hmm. um, at the time when I first joined, I was a single woman and I was very nervous. But once I got in, it kind of became a whirlwind and things picked up from there very quickly. Right. Here you are a decade <laughs> later. Yes. <laughs> so we talked about a one being getting on FetLife, finding a munch, like looking at the local group, them doing a background check or vetting you, and then you eventually getting invited. And we mm -hmm. talked about a three being pickup play. What's a five? If you're listening to this podcast and you're already at a three level and you're like, there's more, <laughs> what would a five like? If it was five out of five in terms of like you being a pro at this, what would mm -hmm. that look like? Well, that looks different for everyone. But to me, like what I considered a five experience, um, I always look at it as a five plus because no one ever reaches quote unquote mastery level. Right. Um, you're always learning. You're always going to be growing. But I think once you get to a position where you start hosting, you start teaching, you start mentoring people, that's what I consider kind of that five level. You're someone that other people go to, to learn things or to get information. You're someone people feel safe with to host events or to especially mentoring. I feel like mentors are definitely at that five level because someone looks at you and say, I want to be like you and I want you to teach me all that you know, you specifically, not just kink education in general, but you specifically have something that I desire. So that's what I would consider a five level, five plus level. Thank you. Okay. One other thing I wanted to go back and ask a question about was you mentioned mm -hmm. subspace very casually. Mm -hmm. I know what it is, but for people that are listening that have no idea what you're talking about, can you break it down and then tell us mm -hmm. what is the feeling feel like? So, so maybe if you have been in it, you can identify it. Or if you're going through a scene, you can identify it as it happens. Like, okay, I'm slipping into it now. And then maybe mm -hmm. why you should be careful when you do slip into subspace and why. Absolutely. So subspace is um, the feeling. It's all mental. Um, you can't have physical effects, but it is the moment when a bottom, whoever is the one having stuff done to them in the scene, experiences what I call the euphoria of the scene. They can feel very floaty. They get out of their head. The voices, you know, stop. They start, they stop focusing on what they're having for dinner later or whatever's going on in their life. Everything turns off. And all that is, is what is happening in that scene. All you feel is what you are currently experiencing. And it feels like, for me, it's different for everyone. But for me, it kind of feels like everything's happening through a cloud. Everything gets softened and becomes very ethereal. And I feel very light and happy and outside of my body a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it can be very, very intense. It's very addictive as well. And tops can experience a similar form as well. They have to keep a little bit more control than the subs, obviously. But it's just that moment where you're like, this was what I needed. This is mm -hmm. the escape I wanted, and I've now reached it. The reason why it can be so dangerous is because in those moments, a lot of times you do not have full control over yourself. 
if someone were to ask you a question, you would probably say yes to pretty much anything at that point. Yes, do um, to me. <laughs> which is why when you do scenes that you feel are going to lead you to that, it's really good to know that you trust that person because you don't want them to take advantage of that. Um, because when you do get to that space, you can be very agreeable and you may not look that different on the outside. It's all about them being able to read how you're responding, how your words are flowing, what your body language is saying. And it's also very dangerous because it can be addictive and it can lead into what we know as frenzy in the BDSM world, which is someone who experiences those highs, experiences that excitement, maybe experiences that subspace and they just want more and more and more. It's like a junkie looking for their next hit. And eventually what that can lead to is them making a very dangerous decision, whether it's not vetting partner, partners correctly, or maybe doing something that they weren't comfortable with or not capable of doing, things like that, because they're searching for that next hit. And so they look for more extreme, more exciting things. And eventually it can lead to harm, whether it's bodily harm because they do something they weren't prepared for, or mental harm because they crash really difficultly and realize, oh man, I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't okay with that. That triggered me or this person took advantage of me, whatever it may be. So it's, it can be very exciting and it's wonderful, but you have to kind of keep yourself in check and also make sure that you are with partners who can do the same. Questions. Yes. How do you keep yourself out of that state of frenzy? And are there types of people with maybe very addictive type of personalities that should watch out for that? So for, yeah, so frenzy, um, the best way to keep out of that is to be mindful of your interactions in terms of quantity is the first one. Like if you are trying to scene with someone every day, every other day, uh, especially if you are new, that's probably too much. You know, give yourself some time to process because drop that that crash that happens after a scene, that can take a couple of days to even occur and to complete itself. So you need to give yourself time to recover from those things. So if you find yourself the second you start to feel that low coming on, you wanting to seek something else, hold off. You know, wait for a while, wait for that low to kind of work its way through. Give yourself time to recover. The other thing is, is to find friends in the community and vet yourself through them. Say, hey, so I was thinking of doing this. Do you guys think that's a good idea? Or do you guys think I should wait? Do you think this person is safe? things like that. It's important to make those connections, even if it's just one or two to kind of help keep you in check. And then also it's really important to self-reflect a lot. Um, Every time you experience something new, you need to take a moment and really think, how did I feel about that? Did I enjoy it because it was something new or did I enjoy it because of the act itself? Or did I enjoy it because of the person I was doing it with? Or is it a mix of all of it? And really think to yourself, how do I want to move forward with that information? And I think those things will kind of help keep you out of frenzy. What I will say, most people go through frenzy. (laughs) Almost everyone goes through at least a little bit of it, especially when you first get started. And sometimes even after you've been in it for years, I know that I went through a frenzy phase after I'd already been in it for a couple of years because I had been doing kind of the same thing for a couple of years, gotten into kind of a groove. And then I discovered a new area of kink that I didn't realize I liked. And I got all in. I was like, I want to do this all the time. I want to find anyone I can to do this with. And I had to really reel myself in because I could feel frenzy coming on. So don't beat yourself up if you kind of slip into it a little bit. 
Um, it happens to us all at some point or another, but just try to have that support system and also be self-aware enough to kind of pull yourself back. Okay. Two more questions. Yes. One, how is subspace different from dissociation? So for me, um, <clears throat> it can be the same thing for some people. Again, subspace is different for everybody. But for me, I'm still very aware of who I am. I know like what I want, what I need. I don't lose my identity in that. I don't lose who I am in those moments. What I lose is all of the stuff that's around me that may be piling onto my shoulders. And I just am me at that point. And especially for someone with anxiety, that's so freeing mm -hmm. to not have all these other things on the outside. Or just so, overwhelm. Because yes. I've heard people say it helps me focus on the like the reality before me. It helps me yes. stay present in that moment and stay present with the person that I'm with. And yes. it's not dissociation at all. It's the opposite where it's like yes. narrowing in. You, you hyper-focus on yourself, your body, your mind, the surroundings in your immediate area, mm -hmm. things like that. So it doesn't, uh, to me, it's not dissociation. If anything, like you said, it's the opposite of that, where I get to focus on just that moment and just mm -hmm. these people involved. So yeah, that that's why to me, it, it's way different. For some people, it may not be that way. Some people may dissociate during it and that's the appeal but again, it's different for everyone. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the other question that I had for you is about drop. So you mentioned it mm -hmm. and that's the feeling that you feel after a big scene, maybe a few hours after or the next morning and you wake up and you're like, oh, it's over. Like, yes. <laughs> and you're like feeling kind of low. What are some things that you can do to take care of yourself and really nurture yourself back to balance when you're feeling so low? And then maybe also explain the feelings of drop maybe first and then yeah. like how you can help self-care yourself back. Yeah, absolutely. So drop is actually something that can happen in any situation where you're getting a burst of happy, essentially. Um, I've experienced drop with scenes. I've experienced drop after really great sex. I have experienced drop after big events. So you can experience drop in many different scenarios. And essentially what it is, is all those feel-good brain chemicals that you get from those moments, they crash out, they bottom out. And your body and your mind feel those effects. You can feel drop very physically a lot of times. You can feel very fatigued. Um, you can get headaches. You can feel very lethargic and kind of out of it um, mentally. It can trigger if you have any sort of like insecurity or anxiety or depression, anything like that, it can trigger those feelings. Um, drop is different for everyone. It looks different for everyone. I know some people get very low and they tend to hermit and they don't want to interact with anyone when they drop. There's other people who can get very irritable when they start to drop. They get kind of cranky. It just kind of depends on how your body reacts. Um, so part of negotiating is you need to negotiate what is called aftercare, which is how are you going to take care of yourself and how can you take care of the people that you're involved with in the scene after the scene is over? And that means immediately after as well as in the coming days. Um, not every person you play with is going to provide you aftercare, but you need to discuss if they're going to provide aftercare. Um, the big thing for me Again, aftercare looks different for everyone, but whenever I scene with someone, my request for aftercare is always check in with me, 
about 24 hours later and just check on how I'm doing. Cause I will not reach out. If those feelings start to creep in, if that insecurity starts to creep in, I'm not going to reach out to you and say, Hey, I need reassurance or, Hey, I just need to talk. I'm not going to do that. So I let my people know, reach out to me in like a day and just check on how I'm doing. Um, and then maybe do that the following day as well, just to make sure I'm good. Um, some things you can do for your own self-care. Chocolate is great because, <laughs> again, it gives you some of those those brain chemicals back. Um, comfort foods are fantastic. Exercise is a really great way to deal with aftercare because it gets some of those feel-good chemicals back as well. Getting out in the sunlight, making sure you're drinking plenty of water, um, doing whatever self-pampering eases, like, eases your mind, whether it's bubble baths or going on a walk, maybe spending time with loved ones. It's whatever is going to make you feel good and comfortable while the drop is happening. You want to write it out. Sometimes you cannot force it to end. You kind of just have to feel through it. But if you're prepared for it and you have that support system in place to help get you through it, it tends to not be so horrible. How long does drop typically last for people? Um, That is very personal. So some people it lasts a couple hours. Some people it can last a couple of days. It also depends on the intensity of whatever led to it. I have had scenes where I'll have drops the next day and it'll last maybe the morning and then I'm over it. I've had other drops that lasted two to three days, depending on the intensity. So you just kind of have to prepare. Um, If you know what you're going to be doing is very intense, prepare for maybe a day or two of it. The end of my questions. I think we spent the first half just with my Q&A. Feel <laughs> free totally to teach fine. us other things. That's <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. Um, <clears throat> one of the other things that I really wanted to talk about when you're exploring BDSM, you have to learn how to negotiate, um, which is something that we we teach a lot of newbies. And essentially, all negotiating is is communicating. It's communicating your needs. It's communicating what you want, don't want, what you expect, and what the other person wants and expects. I think sometimes a lot of the negotiation focuses on the submissive or the bottom of the scene. And sometimes the tops get left behind, (laughs) which is unfortunate. Um, And you have to learn the right questions to ask, the right information to have. And when you're a newbie, that can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. So... One of the things that you need to do is create a checklist for yourself. I always suggest people writing out a negotiations checklist. What exactly is it that you are wanting from the scene? What are your limits or triggers? Is there medical information that your partner needs to know about you? Because medical issues can impact scenes, whether it's you're on medication, you're a diabetic, you have old injuries, whatever that may be. Um, What are your expectations for the mood of the scene? Because scenes can have different tones. They're not all rough and sexy. Sometimes they can be very fun and playful, or sometimes they can be fear-inducing, or sometimes they can be purely focused on a sensual connection. So what is the vibe that we're going for with this scene? Also, you want to make sure that you know what your other partner's needs and wants are. Um, Especially if you're the bottom, ask if your top has medical issues. If they're flogging you and all of a sudden they go into uh, maybe like their blood sugar drops, you need to know how to deal with that. Um, Make sure that you both are aware where first aid is. If there is medication, is it nearby and what do I give you? 
Um, do you have someone to call in case there is an emergency or are you guys, if you guys live together, what is the plan? If there is an emergency, do we call 911? We're going to try to deal with it here, whatever the situation may be. If you are in a dungeon or a location that is not your own, that you're not familiar with, familiarize yourself with who the dungeon monitors are, what the protocols are for emergencies, where the first aid is located, mm -hmm. things like that. All of those things need to happen in negotiation. And when you're new and you're not used to doing it, having those checklists can really help and make it a lot easier. Um, so that was something that I really wanted to emphasize because negotiation is kind of the foundation for all BDSM funds, whether it's casual or not. So, so which number I kind of wrote these in order mm -hmm. and I was thinking maybe the expectations of the mood section would be where you would pre-negotiate, um, like I am going to need a charcuterie board, <laughs> like I need snacks <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or within the mood section, maybe like, okay, and this is where I'm going to need aftercare. And this is what it could look like. This is what I'd like it to look like. Mm -hmm. Call yes. me in 24 hours. <laughs> yes. Um, the expectations are, it's anything that you expect before, during, and after the scene. Okay. So yeah, aftercare would definitely be covered and, and always, always, always cover aftercare. Um, I am not someone that needs aftercare from pickup play partners. If I, if I do that with someone, I usually will get my aftercare from my husband or another partner, but I always discuss it in case my other person needs aftercare. So even if you don't plan on providing it or needing it, still bring it up and see what those expectations are. Cause if the other person is expecting to cuddle you afterwards and you're like, no, I'm good. Don't touch me. Um, that is going to yes. be a big drop right there off the bat. Totally. If you don't know what aftercare is, or you want more ideas for aftercare, I was looking at my mm -hmm. podcast list. Mm -hmm. I just recorded an episode on aftercare. It's episode number 75. So it's all about, I mean, it can be anything from like what London's mm -hmm. saying. It could be a charcuterie board if someone needs snacks. It <laughs> yes. could be snuggling. It could be making love. It could be, um, you know, toweling your person off with love. It could be going out into the hot tub. It could be whatever. Lots mm -hmm. of ideas. Episode number 75. Okay. Yeah. What else you got, London? I love that one. Uh, yes. Um, so, and within those negotiations, another thing that I want to bring up is when you are a newbie, negotiations are a little awkward and can be difficult at times, but especially as you get more comfortable, I love to view negotiations as a seduction. It is, you are trying to seduce yourself and this other person in preparation for this scene. Even if you don't have a sexual or romantic interest in the person you are seeing with, you are trying to create a mood. Um, even if it's playful, even if it's fun, even if it's just casual, you are trying to engage yourselves in this moment and experience this in a way that is going to be fulfilling to you both. And it's something only you two can bring to the table. You two meeting in this moment is not anything that anyone else can replicate. So treat it like a seduction. Like the negotiations do not have to be business-like. They do not have to be very thorough in terms of, okay, let's go through this checklist one item at a time in very serious mode. It can be teasing. It can be fun. It can be playful. Whatever mood you're trying to set for the scene itself, bring that same mood to your negotiations. It starts there. That's the foreplay. Can you then, like give us a little script, on, like just play pretend of what this could sound like? Yeah, Absolutely. So just to set up, um, I've done this before with 
my boy, who's my submissive, we negotiated a cutting scene and they had never done anything like this before. And it was going to be very intense. It was going to be for our anniversary. So when I was asking them about limits expectations, I would text them and say, so when I cut you and I'm going to be slicing into you, tasting your blood, are you okay if I also tease you this way? Would you like it if I did this? Are you going to be okay if after I taste your blood, I also kiss you? And it's very sexual and teasing and sensual. But what I'm essentially asking is, how okay are you with fluids? And switching them back and forth. Are you okay with me doing other things while I'm cutting you? But it doesn't sound that way when I'm giving it to them. I'm teasing them and I'm getting that information out of them, but I'm building them up. And I got them very excited um, for it. And I still got the information I needed. So I knew what had to be done, but I also set the mood and I got myself and them very, very excited in the process. Yeah, that's pretty hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't even want to be cut. And I'm like, yeah, you can lick it off me. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and they it, got it doesn't, me. Yes, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be super serious. As long as you're still getting the same information and safety and boundaries and all of those things are still covered and um, everyone knows what is expected. It can be so much fun. I have also done <laughs> negotiations that have lasted maybe a week or so leading up to the scene Ooh. where the, um, I'll be the bottom and the sadist will text me things and they'll, maybe they'll just send me a picture of like an implement they're about to use on me. And they'll say, are you getting excited? And what they're doing is they're testing that I'm okay with that implement, but at the same time, they're getting me into that headspace way ahead of time. Right. Or you be like, hell no, you're not using that on me. I'm like, um, actually, I'm so not okay with that. But, or I'll be like, I cannot wait for you to hit me with that. Um, and then the day of, they will kind of send me um, like a task list. Um, which is something that's been a fun way to negotiate is they will send me something that says, okay, I want you to do this. I want you to write out this for me, like your limits or whatever it is that they're wanting. And I want you to prep for me in this way. And it's a way to prepare for the scene, but also refresh what we both are expecting, what we both agreed to. And it's a reminder, but it's a fun way to do it. It's not business-like at all. It's more like, you better get ready. And here's what you agreed to. So remember that <laughs> when you're in front of me. So it sounds both like a dance and also something you could be like real suave at if you yes. tried several yes. times. And then maybe a few years into this, you were like, I got this down. Exactly. Um, and it's different with every person too. Sometimes when I'm negotiating, I've, I'm pretty experienced at this, but if I'm experiencing something brand new with someone who is also fairly new, I am a little bit more business-like, a little less playful just because I'm trying to make sure that they understand what's going on and I understand what's going on. But especially when experience levels are a little bit more advanced, it can become a lot more fun. And like I said, more of a seduction as opposed to a business-like transaction. Okay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other points for this podcast? Um, the only other thing that I want to stress, um, this comes up a lot when I talk about negotiations and just exploring, is the misconception um, regarding sex and kink. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that. When do yes. you have sex? And you're like, never. <laughs> yes. So when 
um, and it's important to discuss because when you're negotiating, especially if you're negotiating between people who are newer, there's a lot of people who expect that kink always involves or leads to sex, which is true for a lot of people and in a lot of cases, but it is not true for everyone. Um, I know that whenever I scene, whenever I'm having an intense scene, especially as a bottom, it almost never leads to sex. I, the, the scene itself is sexual to me. Therefore, I don't need sex afterwards. I feel like I've had an orgasm or sometimes I do orgasm <laughs> during certain acts and I don't need or want sex afterwards. And so you need to be aware of what that person's expectation is regarding sex. Um, even if it's a casual partner, if their expectation is every time I seen I have sex, they may just assume that you're down for that as well. So you need to bring it up. And you also need to define what that means. Sex means different things for different people. Um, whenever I seen, I am very clear that I prefer no sexual activity whatsoever. And that includes oral, fingers, any other toys, anything like that. Um, I always state that I'm okay with kissing or certain touching, but I'm not okay with other things. And you need to define what that means to you. Because if you say, okay, no sex and you think that that's sufficient, mm -hmm. and then say you're on a cross somewhere and then someone fingers you while you're up there. They're like, well, that wasn't sex. I didn't fuck you. I just fingered you. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's what I also meant. So you need to clarify what your definitions for sex or sexual activity is as well, because BDSM does not always involve sex. Um, it's fine if it does. It doesn't make you any more or less of a kinkster. It doesn't make you any more right or wrong. But you do need to clarify those expectations because especially with, you know, fantasy and with porn and things like that, people assume that it's always going to lead there yeah. and it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. In my mind, it does too. Like it's, uh, and again, like, I don't know anything about this, but it's, I'm imagining <laughs> you're like tied to a cross and you're like getting fucked on the cross and like, mm -hmm. you know, or there's like this like table, it's like Count Dracula or something and you're out with implements <laughs> yes. and then someone mounts you and you fuck on the table. <laughs> so it's good to know that some, and I'm assuming it's because the scene itself can be so intense. Like you don't need to add anything on top of it. What mm. happens if you are with a person and the person, like, let's say that's the top and you're the bottom they're the top, not that. They're the top and you're the bottom. Um, and they really want to have sex. Is there mm -hmm. a way to like end the scene, maybe do some aftercare and then within the aftercare somehow like let it flow into that if it's like yes. necessary for one of the people? So that is something that would be covered during negotiations, which is why you'd bring it up. And if someone is saying, okay, I have to have sex if I scene with you. And you're not sure if you were comfortable with that. Yeah. One of two things can happen. One, you could maybe negotiate sex at a different time. Like you said, maybe after the scene is over, or maybe you guys negotiate sexual activity. If you, it's something you're comfortable with, do not be pressure or coerced into it. But if it is something you're comfortable with, find some sort of, I can't think of a better word, but a compromise in a way of just how you want to address that need. But the second and what I would consider what I would do is I would not seen with that person. If your needs are not compatible and they want something that you are not comfortable giving them, regardless of whatever compromise they put at you, you just don't seen with that person. It can suck and it can be very disappointing, 
But it's much better to do that rather than compromise yourself and say, oh, well, I mean, I guess it's not that big of a deal. And I can do that for them since they're doing this for me. Mm-hmm. Do not do that. <laughs> so I would always suggest if it's something that they absolutely need and it is something that you do not want, you just don't scene together or you re redo the scene to a point where maybe it's a type of scene they don't feel they want sex afterwards or they don't need it afterwards. Um, if there's something that you're doing in that scene like, that is why... That like if they um, say you're doing, you're planning a scene where there's going to be impact and say some primal play where they're going to get rough and bitey and scratchy with you. And they say, well, when I get primal, I have to get sexual. Renegotiate and say, okay, well, what if we didn't do primal? Would you still be okay doing just impact and we just don't do primal? Would you still need sex if we did that? Are you okay just doing that? Am I okay just doing that? So you can always renegotiate depending on that. But if it gets to a point where, again, like I said, if it's just something that they have to have and you're just not comfortable with it, you just don't seem with that person. So it can suck. Ask one more question. (laughs) Absolutely. So help me understand why a person would want a BDSM scene, but they're not to be sex involved. Maybe the psychological part of that. No problem. So like I said, with me, it's not like this when I top. I tend to get fairly sexual when I top, at least with my boy. But when I bottom, I almost never want sex. And for me specifically, it is because I'm having such a huge endorphin rush and a big adrenaline rush that sex for me can sometimes bring that down Mm -hmm. because I'm experiencing a different type of high. If I'm getting that high from pain Mm -hmm. and I go into sex, all of a sudden that has shifted. It has become something new, which means those, yeah, which means those chemicals may drop off or may change or shift and the mood will then change. It's not like that for everyone. Everyone has their own reasons. Some people um, have trauma surrounding sex and that's why they don't want to. Um, They see, you know, the kink as cathartic, not as sexual, Mm. things like that. But for me specifically, it's the satisfaction that I'm getting from a scene can be hindered by sex because the mood and the tone and the outcome has now changed. No longer the goal is pain. The goal has become orgasm or pleasure. Right. It's and like, those are different. Like, I'm very confused. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was focused on getting beaten, kicked, and now I'm moving into I've got to get you and me off. And that's just t- my brain just short circuits at that point. Um, yeah. It's not always like that. But um, especially if people are mixing pain and pleasure, because pain is pleasurable to me, but it's pleasurable in a different way than sex is pleasurable. So got it. Um, that that's why I prefer to not include okay. sex. So then do you recommend if you're in that position and you're listening to this podcast and you're like, Oh yeah, that sounds like me. I didn't realize I could separate them. Then mm-hmm. would you schedule like a different thing? That's just a sex date separate from the BDSM play with your, you know, reoccurring partner. I have done that. Um, I typically, again, it's usually when I bought him. So like whenever I would play with my husband, cause he was always, he's always my top. Mm-hmm. Um, we would scene at parties and we would scene at dungeons and things like that. And that's where I was getting my rocks off essentially and having my good time. And there was kind of this understanding that by the time we would leave the dungeon, get back to either our hotel room or our house, if he was interested in sex at that point, I've already experienced kind of my flow back into quote unquote normalcy from mm-hmm. our scene. And I'm open to sex at that point because enough time has passed and I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something where we know that we're not, we're either going to be too tired, it's going to be too late, or maybe I haven't quite gotten back to that normalcy point, it was very easy for me to communicate. 
hey, can we not tonight, but I'll have sex with you tomorrow, or I'm good to have sex anytime after I just get some sleep, whatever, it works best. So that's part of, again, the negotiation process is just that expectation. If it's someone that you plan on, you know, being sexual with at some point, or if it's a long-term partner, just kind of let them know what your expectations are. Mm -hmm. If you need, hey, I'm good with sex, but I need like maybe an hour after we seen to come down and to get into a different headspace. And it's going to take time to figure that out. So you may start out scening with someone and then you have sex and you realize, man, that just, that felt different or maybe it ruined it for me. So it's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I would recommend is in the negotiation process. If it's someone that you're not going to have sex during the scene, but let them know when are you open for sex later? Cause it may not be till after you're done dropping. Um, and they need to know that. So, so good. So much good information. Thank you for getting really tactical. You know, we've done podcasts that are like way up here and this is like actual tactical blocking and like creating checklists and the doing of the things. Um, so I appreciate that. Is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with? Um, the biggest thing is just when you're exploring this, have fun with it, be safe, obviously do your research um, make contacts in the community. So you have a safety net, things like that, but it is about having fun and kind of opening yourself up to experiences that either you didn't think you'd ever be open to or society tells you, you shouldn't be open to, and just kind of let those expectations go a little bit, allow yourself to really get to know yourself in a way that you never would have known before it's, it's about connection and it's about having a good time with other people. But more importantly, it's about learning who you are and having fun with yourself. I've never loved myself more than when I was like, you know, head deep in exploring BDSM because I realized what a strong and powerful and interesting and varied and sexual person I was. And it can be very empowering to do that. So just have fun with it and really like get to know yourself and let that stuff go. I think that's the best thing to do. So good. Thank you so much for being on today. I'm yes, thank you. I'm grateful to call you a friend. Um, and I can't wait to hear what people think about this podcast. This is fantastic. Yes. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. Absolutely. Bye. Bye.